0: To Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And when you get there, put your finger there and turn back to Matthew chapter 28. For most of you, I just did something you have never seen me do in my entire life, at least since I've been here. I announced two sermon texts. Most of you are used to being able to predict, oh, we were in that chapter last week, we're going to be in this text this week, and that's what he's going to preach. And here, I just told you to turn to two different passages. And yes, we are going to flip back and forth. I've taken these two passages and brought them together because both of them address the great commission, the mandate that Jesus gave to his people. They're not happening at the same time, there is a, a short separation of time between these, several days. There are two different locations. Frankly, I think they're two different, not completely different, but two different groups of people that he's speaking to here. But it is part of the same mission, the same commission that he is giving to his people. So, I want to start by reading our text from Matthew 28. And then I'm going to move over to Acts chapter 1, and we'll read our text there. Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now over to Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. That's a reference to Pentecost that's going to come in Acts chapter 2. We're not going to get into that part today. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, As he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The critical foundation stone of success is purpose would you say that's a fair statement can you can you follow my line of thinking with that the critical foundation stone of success is purpose in other words if any person is going to be successful in life they have to know why they're here if any organization is going to be successful It has to understand its purpose. And understanding our purpose requires answering two key questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Or what am I here to do? And so the idea of purpose is made up of both identity and mission. Who we are, what we're here to do. We understand that in many different contexts, right? I shared that with the people last week. In an Air Force context, we know that we specialize in all things air power. You're not going to see the United States Air Force expend much money and effort in submarine warfare. That's not their purpose. That's not who they are. There's another organization that does that. In the same way, You're not going to see a car dealership specialize in selling furniture. You're not going to see a restaurant specialize in selling cars. In order for that organization to be successful, it must understand who it is and why it's here, what it's here to do. In a very real sense, this is true of Christianity and the church what you understand about who you are in Christ and what you're here to do or why you're in this world, what you understand about what the church is and why we are here is going to direct how you behave, what you spend your time and energy on. If we would truly follow the Lord Jesus Christ, if we would see true success in this world as he defines it, And if we would receive that heavenly reward that He has promised to those who are in Christ, those who belong to Him, then we must understand who we are and why we're here. And we must devote ourselves to that identity and mission and nothing else. So why are we here? And who are we? Are we here just to get out of hell And now just to hunker down and wait for the Lord to return. are, Are we here to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can have a better life? Here and now. If that's what we believe, and I feel that that is what many people today believe, it will show in how we live. And that's why we have many who profess the name of Christ who do not live like it and who have no idea what they believe, right? Because they don't understand who they are in Christ and what Christians are really here to do. The passages that we're looking at today make up, essentially, Jesus' last words on earth. Throughout his life and ministry, he had been teaching what our identity is to be in him, how it is that we can be reconciled to God, what it means to follow Jesus. And here in these last words that he gives to his disciples before he ascends back into heaven, what he says is all about mission. In other words, we are not here just to sit and soak. That is not why we're <laughs> still in this world. you realize? If we were here simply to worship, Hang with me here. If we were just saved to worship, why would we still be in this world? Because that's what we're going to do in heaven. Is there a reason God has left us in this earth? There is. And it's more than just gathering on Sundays to sing songs of praise. It is also to scatter and to go somewhere, and to be involved, and to be active in a mission that he has outlined for us. And that is what Jesus is talking about in these passages. As he has already risen from the dead, and as he is now about to return to his Father in heaven, Jesus now gives clarity, what are you guys supposed to be doing now? When I'm gone, How is it you are to be occupying your time until I return? That is what Jesus has to say. And if you belong to Christ today, what he says here is the mission of your life. You want to have a successful life? You need to understand why you're here. You want to understand why you're here? Listen to what Jesus says. This is, Christian, the mission of your life. This is our great commission. And I want us to see and to consider this Great Commission by looking at its three components that we can see in Matthew 28 and Acts chapter 1. And the first is this. The Great Commission begins with readiness. Readiness. This is the preparation phase for the Great Commission. And it's a critical phase. No one goes into war without preparing first. That's why soldiers spend so much time training physically, planning out the battle. No one goes into a sports arena without some sort of game plan, right? No one goes into anything significant in life without having some sort of idea what we're going to accomplish, and some sort of level of preparation for it. It's the same thing in the church. This has to do with preparation and training and planning and fitness, but, but if we would understand and if we would be faithful to the mission that Christ has given to us, it must begin with readiness, with a preparation, with a a preparedness to face what it is he is telling us to do, and a readiness to carry it out. What does readiness look like for God's people? In these texts, we see three things. First of all is availability. You say, that's so obvious. But is it? We see availability in verse 16 of Matthew 28. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. That might seem at first to be an insignificant, meaningless little detail, but it isn't. In fact, there is no such thing in Scripture. What we see here is a picture of the eleven disciples, and I would argue many others who are with them, waiting For the Lord Jesus to meet them on this mountain in Galilee. And there's a sense of eager anticipation here. The Lord has risen from the dead, and now they're waiting for what's next. Back in, uh, still in chapter 28, but back in verses 7 and 8, Jesus had passed word to all of his disciples to meet him in Galilee. And so they went, and here they are, ready, waiting, eager to see the Lord and to hear what he has to say. And we see the same sense of anticipation in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, where they're, again, with Jesus, they're they're, they're waiting, and he says, go, wait in Jerusalem, and there's going to be a time when the Spirit is going to outpour on you, and you're going to see the promise, you're going to see the fulfillment of what has been promised. So wait, go, and be ready. This is a picture of what true discipleship is, and what faithfulness to the Lord's mission really is and, and where it begins for us. It's been said by, I don't know, many people over the course of history that the greatest ability is what? Availability. And that's true here. You see, we're not called to lay out a a perfectly detailed plan for our future. If I follow Christ, it's going to look like this, and this, and this, and this, and then this challenge is going to come, and I'm going to meet it this way, and and then I'm going to move on, and I'm going to see this kind of victory, and everything's just going to be all glorious and according to plan. You can't do that. You're not called to do that. That's not what readiness looks like for the Christian. Readiness for the Christian means the Lord said, go here, I'm going to go here. And when he tells me what to do next, I'm going to do it next. You may not know what tomorrow is going to look like. You may not be able to answer every question. You may not be able to foresee every contingency. And let's not even talk about risk assessment because you'll discourage yourself right away. That's why Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. It's got enough trouble of its own. You, you focus on today. You focus on being where the Lord wants you at this moment. We are not called to answer every question. We are not called to foresee every possible contingency every every possible problem that would arise but we need to understand that none of those things is a problem to a sovereign lord none of those things is an obstacle you say if i follow christ there's any number of problems that could come you're counting the cost i get that but none of that is an obstacle to christ in fact Those things are often the stage on which he displays his glory for you to see and for everyone around you to see. We're not called to be the greatest at anything. We're not called to answer every question. Readiness for the Christian simply means I'm where the Lord wants me right now. And I'm ready and eager and waiting for him to lead me into whatever's next. Simply to be available without reservation. That has to do with being in the right place. But there's more. Because readiness, in terms of the Great Commission and following Christ, doesn't just include availability, but it also means worship. This is not just being in the right place, but having the right heart, the right attitude, the right motivation. And we see that in Matthew 28, verses 17 and 18. And when they saw him, they worshiped. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. They're ready. They've gone to where the Lord had said to go. They're ready. They're waiting. They're eager. And when Jesus shows up to the gathering... His disciples fall down and worship. That tells me they had the right view of Christ. They had the right disposition toward Him. They recognized Him as their Master, their Lord, their God, their Savior. You say, that's obvious. Of course they did. Yes, but is it so obvious? Because here's what they didn't do. They didn't see Jesus as their genie who has come to grant their wishes. They didn't see Jesus as their co-pilot or their chauffeur sitting there to assist them in their own life pursuits and take them where they want to go. They didn't see him as their servant waiting on them to carry out their own orders. They saw him as the sovereign Lord over their lives, and they fell at his feet in submission to Him, in worship, as they waited for His instruction. Because their goal was not to carry out their own mission, but to do His pleasure. You say, of course that's obvious. No, it is not obvious in our world today. How easy is it for us to approach Jesus as that genie, or that co-pilot, or that chauffeur, or that servant? And when that's in our minds, and when that is what we have fallen into, we are in no position to carry out what he has called us to carry out. We're not ready. And there were some here who weren't quite ready, and Jesus deals with that. We read here that within this gathering of disciples, some doubted. This is why I think there's more people here than just the 11 disciples. The 11 disciples had already seen him risen. So they already believe. They know who he is. They've seen his face. They've recognized him. Some have, su- have, have suggested that this crowd could have been as big as 100 people or more, which means that there were probably some people standing around who either had not yet seen the risen Lord or who couldn't quite see him close enough to recognize his face. And there is some doubt. Is this guy an imposter? Has he really risen from the dead? Is this a vision? Is this, what's going on here? Who is that really? Is he? We're told he's the Christ, but is he really? And then you get this sense when it says that Jesus, in verse 18, came and said to them, yes, that's to everybody. But with these doubters in the crowd, I almost get the sense that Jesus is working his way through the crowd to get into close proximity to those who are doubting. And I sort of envision him standing kind of near them so that they, of all people, can hear what he's about to say. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I have no doubt that by the time he gets to those people and by the time he's saying what he is saying, this crowd understands who he is. And they're ready to hear what he has to say. The sense is that in this moment, all eyes are on him. It is all about him. This is the essence of true Christian worship. This is the heart attitude of all true Christians. It is a single-minded devotion. It is an undistracted adoration. And it is an unreserved readiness to follow His orders. And thus we find a third crucial area. Of great commission readiness and that is focus availability worship and focus we see that in acts chapter 1 verses 6 and 7 so when they had come together they asked him this is again this isn't the same uh the same scene as matthew 28 now they're down in jerusalem they're on Another mountain, Jesus is about to be ascended, and, and here I suspect it is just the 11 disciples, maybe a few more, I'm not sure. But here they are together. And when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. It seems that they're still struggling with the same struggle they've had all through Jesus' ministry and frankly, their entire lives They've expected the Messiah to come overthrow Rome and establish his kingdom on earth right then and right there. And they're still wrestling with that. And they finally got to the understanding, okay, fine, that's not what he's going to do. He's actually going to die. And then he's going to rise again. Okay, well, now he did that. So now are you going to establish your earthly kingdom? And what's Jesus' answer? No, not yet. No, that's not what he says. No, it's it's uh, I'm gonna tell you what, uh, year 2024. June, July. It'll be somewhere around there. No, it's not what he says. He essentially says here what he told to Peter at the end of John when Peter asks about John's future. You remember that? And Jesus is talking about you're gonna get carried around where you don't want to go, and, and they're gonna do this stuff to you. And, Peter looks at John and says, what about him? And Jesus says, what about him? If it's my will that he lives forever until I come back, what's that to you? You almost get the sense it's what he's saying here. Are you going to establish your kingdom right now? What's it to you guys? It's not your business to know what only the Father has established in his own plan and his own authority. Guys, get your eyes off that. Get your eyes off the speculation. And focus on what I'm telling you to do. What are they talking about here? They're talking about when Jesus is coming back. Well, that's a conversation we all love to have, isn't it? That's a fun conversation to have. Because we can't really, with all good confidence, answer that question, can we? Now, we know He is. We know enough to recognize it when we see it. We sure do love to speculate, don't we? Yeah. And We get distracted by that, don't we? And sometimes it leads us to this glorious aloofness from the world and distraction, and sometimes it leads us into fear. Because we think that we're seeing revelation happen in every single detail all around us. And you know what? Maybe it is, but we... We get so caught up with, oh no, oh no, oh no. And how many Christians have you noticed who live their life like this? Oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. Jesus is telling his disciples, there are things about the Father's plan. There are things about what's to come that you don't know. And I'm not going to tell you. enjoy thinking about them. Let it build you up into this this wonder and anticipation for what is coming from the glory in the future, but do not let it distract you from the mission that you've been called to. That's what he's saying here. And he's going to go on and, and give them that mission in a moment. There are many mysteries, glorious mysteries in the Bible that It is good for us to meditate on and to consider. But they are never meant to distract us from what is clear. From what is clearly stated and what is the clear mission for us right here and right now. I don't believe it is possible to be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. But I do believe it is possible to be heavenly distracted. So that you forget that you still live here and now. And God still has something for you to do right here and right now. Christ is the head of the church. And his marching orders and his mission are clear. He is to be our worship. His mission is to be our focus. And his word is to be our guide. And all of that flows from a position and a mindset of availability, of readiness to answer the Lord's call and to carry out his mission. So we're called to be ready and we're called to be busy. And when He comes, the question He asks is, will He find us faithful? Will He find us active? Friends, are you ready for the Great Commission? Are you ready for the call of Christ? First of all, Do you know the Lord for yourself? Are you a disciple of Christ? Are you a follower of Christ? Have you come to a place of turning away from your sin and looking to the Lord Jesus Christ alone for forgiveness and reconciliation to God? Have you recognized that as a sinner, you are alienated from God and only Christ can bring you back? And have you put your faith in Him? Have you confessed Him? as your Lord and your Savior. And Christian, are you available to the Lord's direction in your life? Are you worshiping Him? Are you focused on Him? Are you focused and devoted to His mission alone? What is distracting you today from wholehearted service and submission to Him? You know, sometimes we don't see the spiritual victories we want to see. Sometimes we don't see the spiritual growth that we know we need to see. And it's simply because we're not in a position of readiness. We're distracted. We're giving our time and energy to something else. We're distracted. We're theologically distracted, focusing on on. Uh, secondary matters rather than primary matters. We're earthly distracted, focused on earthly pursuits more than we are on Christ. And In any number of ways, we might have our eyes slightly off of what Christ has clearly told us to do. And we're called at this point to turn our eyes and our hearts back to him. That's what the Apostle Paul was talking about in, in Romans chapter 12, when he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Christians, you've presented your hearts to the Lord. You wouldn't be Christians if you hadn't. My question is, are you currently presenting your body? The Great Commission begins with readiness. That is the preparation phase. It is the call to be disciples. Be disciples. But that brings us to the second component of the Great Commission that we see in these texts, and that is obedience. This is the execution phase. This is where we, we see what the actual marching orders are. What is that commission? We're ready for it. Now what is it? What are the specific tasks that the Lord has given us to execute? Again, there are three. First, we are told to make disciples. That's Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The command in that verse is make disciples. Some of you have heard that preached before. That's grammatically speaking. The command is make disciples. And then the words go and baptize and teach in verse 20 are telling us what that looks like, how that is carried out. So this is the starting point of the Great Commission, making disciples. That is going out, bringing people to Christ, bringing people to a point of faith to become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know you're sitting there thinking, wait a minute, God is sovereign in salvation. He's the one who saves. I can't save anybody. You're right. But isn't it a glorious thing that God in his sovereignty has chosen to reach the hearts of sinful people through you by being a proclaimer of the gospel, by being one who tells forth the message of Christ to be a proclaimer, and he has indeed sent us into the world. That's the meaning of the word go. Go isn't talking about, well, at some point when you get yourself ready, you get out there, learn how to swim, and then you can jump in the pool. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, no, brothers, you're in the pool. Now get swimming. You're, you're there. You're in the world. I have already sent you. Now, where you are, make disciples. And when they come to faith in Christ, we are to baptize them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That is not a magical incantation to pronounce over somebody when they go down in the water and come back up. Now, we say that when we baptize people. But what's that getting at? That, again, has to do with identity and obedience. This is the uniform they are putting on, not just privately, but publicly. That's what baptism is about. Publicly proclaiming, I identify with Christ. I am in the Father through Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit. I belong to Him, and I am proclaiming that to the world. It has to do with identity and obedience. And by God's sovereign grace, he has chosen to use us to proclaim his message, to tell others about him and about the salvation that he provides and to lead the lost, to confess Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so we are called to obey, to engage the lost, to make disciples. That is our ultimate mission wherever we are. You say, I'm not a preacher. I know, that's okay. You say, I'm not a theologian. I know. It's okay. You say, I don't have a seminary education. I know. That's okay. Do you know Christ? Yes. Do you know that you know Christ? Yes. Do you read His Word? Yes. You don't need anything else. Not humanly speaking, because Christ has called you. We'll see in a moment where he is called, he is empowered. And this is our mission. You say, but nobody knows me. On any given day, I might interact with two or three people, you say. And they're my kids. Guess where your great commission starts. You can do that, right? You see, this is, sometimes we measure the great commission by the bigwigs of the first century church. Paul, look at how many people he influenced. Peter, look at 5,000 people. I mean, look at Peter. Where were those people during the week? Where were those people every day? What did the Great Commission look like for them? What about the the no-names that were on the mountain in Matthew 28? Where were they? They were living their life. They were going about their work. They were doing whatever it is that they do, but they were making disciples there. You See, this is everybody's commission. Make disciples. But that's just the beginning of the Great Commission. That is the part that relates to the lost, to those who need to be saved. But there is more. Following Christ does not stop at conversion. Jesus did not say, go and make converts. I've told you before, there's a prominent pastor not far from here who has stood up in his megachurch and said, if you have come to the place of faith in Jesus Christ and you are now a disciple of Christ, today is the last day this church is for you. If you want to get into the theological discussions and the deep Bible studies, you need to go to some frozen church somewhere else. But this is what we do here. And I say, you, sir, are not a church. You are not a pastor. Because the Great Commission doesn't stop at making converts. That's not what the Great Commission is all about. That's where it begins. The second aspect of Great Commission obedience we see is not just make disciples, but now teach disciples. Teach disciples. Look at Matthew 28, 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That has the idea of learning all that Jesus has commanded. And not only learning it, but obeying it, living it. That's something the world can't do. That's something the lost can't do. This is what happens to believers. So go make disciples, yes. And when they become disciples, teach them to be disciples. Help them to grow in their spiritual walk. This is a characteristic of, of Christians, and simply put, it's a lifelong effort. You never stop this process, not in this world. This is a lifelong growth in Christlikeness and holiness and godly character. It is learning more and more about what Christ's mission is and how we can carry it out, and it is joining into that mission more and more as we ourselves grow in grace. And this is a job that is not limited to the professional clergy. This is every believer. So Paul describes in Ephesians 4 when he talks about the gifts of apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers that he gives to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. If you're a Christian today, you are a minister and you have a mission. This making disciples... And training, teaching those disciples in Christ-like living is the work of all of the saints. And yes, we can all be a part of it. It might be on a very small scale in your eyes. But it is wherever the Lord has placed you, with whomever the Lord has given you opportunity. That's it. And what does it look like? I heard a missionary in Albania not necessarily the easiest place to be a minister in the world, right? And he says, our mission is simple. Pray, meet people, tell them about Jesus. Pray, meet people, tell them about Jesus. You can do that, right? Yeah, that's our mission. Make disciples, teach disciples. And then there's a third task that Christ gives in his great commission. Make, teach, and now send disciples send disciples look over at acts chapter 1 verse 8 but you will receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem and in all judea and samaria and to the end of the earth look at the locations that are mentioned there jerusalem got it they're in jerusalem several of them they can make it work there all judea Ooh, that just got a little harder It's a lot of area to cover. And Samaria too? Oh, that's bigger. And then he says, to the end of the earth. That is a comprehensive term, meaning that Christ intends his gospel and his church to spread to every corner of the earth. It's a weird phrase, isn't it? The earth doesn't have corners. So keep taking the gospel wherever you go and don't stop until you find a corner. That's not a task that can be carried out by that group of people alone. What's Jesus establishing here? You need to make disciples, you need to teach disciples, and then you need to send them out to make disciples and teach disciples so that they will send them out to go and make disciples and teach disciples, and on and on and on it goes. Sounds kind of like what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, right? What you have received from me, the same commit to faithful men, that they may be able to teach others also. And on and on and on it goes until Christ returns. It's not about how big of a part you play in this, or how big that circle is. It's about, are you playing a part in this? Friends, are you playing a part in this? Are you a disciple of Christ? Do you know the Lord? Are you growing in his grace? And if you are, are you seeking to make disciples? all other missions are subservient to this this is the great mission this is a glorious mission this is a divine mission it is a life dominating mission and it's an impossible mission it's an impossible mission if you're sitting here thinking this great commission is way too great way too big way too hard for little old me and little old you. You're right. It is. With men, this is totally impossible. But all things are possible with God. That's what He wants us to see here. And so this great commission comes with a third component, not just readiness, not just obedience or execution, but it comes with a third component that no other mission on earth can have. And that is assurance. Assurance. Where Christ calls, He empowers and He guarantees. And the assurance that Christ gives for His great commission is certainty of victory and success. And we desperately need that, right? Because when we embark on this mission, we are going to stand and face many obstacles. There will be resistance. There will be hostility. There will be bad days where we mess up and fail and miss opportunities. And we're going to be tempted to quit. And we're going to think, oh no, I didn't give the gospel clearly enough. Now he's going to hell. And we desperately need the divine assurance that while Christ calls us to be the instruments in His hands, He has not called us to do the work that only He can do. He guarantees that His work will be carried out, foibles and fumblings of His people and all. Christ's assurance that He gives here, again, is threefold. First, He gives the assurance of His divine power, Look at Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen. He says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You say, that's not power, that's authority. Yes, it is. But the two go hand in hand. This is the authority that backs his command. I am the sovereign Lord of the universe, and I am telling you what to do. So go. But in addition to that, it's not just his authority, but it is his strength. If he is the sovereign God and he is giving the marching orders, then it is his mission and his strength that is, that is backing this and carrying it out. His commission may be impossible in our strength, but it is as good as done in his. And in his strength... And in his authority, the success of this glorious mission is guaranteed. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, we have a visible demonstration of what kind of authority and power he's talking about as Jesus is carried up on his own into the clouds. Never seen that before, have you? Here's a visible demonstration, a confirmation, an affirmation from the Father that Jesus is who he says he is, that he can do what he says he's going to do and that he has completed his earthly mission and is now commissioning his own people to carry it on this is almost like the transfiguration right where the veil of his flesh is pulled back and they see this divine glory and it's 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 a stamp of approval from the father it's a it's a commissioning it's an affirmation listen to him he can be trusted Listen, it makes no difference how weak you think you are. I can't carry out this great commission because I'm not as great of an orator as that person, or I don't have as many contacts as that. No. And I don't even walk into a witnessing opportunity with a whole lot of confidence. I'm shaky. Yeah. And all that woman did in Mark chapter 5 was reach out and touch the hem of Jesus' garment, and 12 years of suffering was over. And all that father did was say, Jesus, please help my daughter sick. And she died. And all he did was walk in and raise her from the dead. That's it. See, the power of your faith is not found in your faith's strength. It's found in the object of your faith. This is God at work. This is God's power at work. It makes no difference how weak you are. If he's called you, he's empowered you. And he is guaranteed your success. And so like Abram, we follow, not because we have it all figured out or know exactly where this is going to end up. We follow because it's God who said, go. And that's enough for us. That's good enough. Because we know if he says, go, his mission will be carried out. He will do everything he has promised. And now, not only does Christ give the assurance of his divine power, but he also gives the assurance of his divine presence. He says in verse 20, I am with you always to the end of the age. Yeah, I'm physically going away. Remember those passages where he talked about the comforter coming, that it's actually going to be good. That's actually going to expand their ministry. That's what he's talking about. I'm with you. You're not going to be alone. You feel like I'm leaving you alone right now. I get it. You don't know what tomorrow's going to look like because you've never seen this part before. But trust me, I am with you. And you're going to know that. And over in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He's coming. He's going to rest upon you and empower you for this work that I have called you to do. You are never alone. You are never without guidance. You are never without power and strength. You are never without the guarantee of victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. What an assurance. And there's one more aspect of that assurance. Not just his divine power and divine presence, but also his divine promise. Look at Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Jesus goes on up into heaven, he's gone, and they're all just standing there looking up. Probably thinking, uh, okay, what now? Uh, you know, that's that, that awkwardness after the, the climax of the event. And now you're just like, okay, uh, now what? And while they were gazing into heaven as he went behold two men stood by them in white robes okay who were they well, those weren't just two disciples right those were messengers from heaven <laughs> two men stood by them in white robes and said men of Galilee why do you stand looking into heaven this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven that's a promise not only will your mission be successful in this world, but He is coming back. So get busy. You've got the power. You have the clarity and the call. You have all the assurances that you need. Get busy with confidence and joy. He has saved you. He has called you. He has empowered you. He is with you, and he is coming back to receive you to himself. Therefore, Paul says, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning as your Savior? If not, I urge you at this moment, turn from your sins. seek. Forgiveness and peace with God in Christ alone. Confess Him as Lord and rest assured that all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. And that is your deepest need today. And Christians, take this great commission up as the mission of your life. Don't give yourself over to lesser things. Career advancement is good, but it's not this. Financial peace and security is good, but it's not this. Rest is good, but it's not this. Be ready at all times with your eyes fixed on Christ in everything. Get into his word. Worship and serve your Lord and then go out and be a proclaimer of the gospel and the word of God wherever you are, embracing your part in making disciples and teaching disciples and sending disciples and then rest confidently in God's power and his presence at work in you, the promise of his return. He will build his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. You will be successful in his way, in his time. Friends, there is nothing more worthy of our time. There is no greater thing that we can spend our time and energy on and our resources. What a mess we make when we forget our mission. What a mess we make when we give ourselves over to other things. Let's get our eyes on Christ, who we are in Him, and what we're here to do. Let's pray.